0: You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour, and today we'll be discussing insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of yoga. Now, the Sanskrit word yoga is familiar to many people today, but most people think about it in a in a very limited way, perhaps as some um, poses. Uh, some stretching exercises, but actually, yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity. And it's really talking about bringing our attention and awareness together with our essential spiritual nature to be retor- restored to our original wholeness. It's really a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Our topic today is yoga for grief relief. How can yoga help us move through grief to embrace the totality of ourselves and this process that no one can really avoid? Today we'll be discussing how yoga provides support in times of grief and loss and helps us to rediscover our wholeness. My guest today is Antonio Sausis, who is a somatic psychologist and yoga therapist specializing in grief counseling and grief therapy. Antonio is the author of the book "Yoga for Grief: Relief: Simple Practices for Transforming Your Grieving in Mind and Body." <clears throat> his work has been published <clears throat> excuse me his work has been published in several health-related national and international journals. He maintains an active practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. You can find out more about Antonio and his work at his website, yogaforgriefrelief.com. Welcome, Antonio Sousa. I'm delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour.
2: Thank you, Laurel. Hello. It's a pleasure for me to be here as well.
1: Yes. So before we dive into our dialogue about Yoga for Grief Relief, let's let's just start with a yoga moment, a moment of meditation where we really put into practice what we're going to be talking about. Let's begin by turning our attention within and taking this moment, this moment here and now, to bring our attention to our breath. Just noticing as we take a full inhale and exhale. As we take an inhale, feeling the cool air entering the nostrils and the warm air flowing out and not trying to change the natural rhythm of our breath but just noticing the natural flow of air moving in and moving out and noticing how the exhale is a natural part of our breathing cycle. We breathe in and as we exhale, we let go. With each inhale, we can dive within and with each exhale, we let go and relax. In this moment, as we dive within, we can open our heart to the essence at the core of our being. This one reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, wherever we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present. As you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. And just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. we may notice thoughts or feelings as they arise and we realize we can watch them as they pass away we can rest in our essential nature beyond words and thoughts beyond all change pure existence being We feel the peace that emanates from this essence of our being and allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. And as we experience this peace and allow it to soak in, we realize it's a portable peace. We can bring it with us throughout the rest of our day and share it with all we meet. Once again, Antonio Sausas, welcome to the Yoga Hour.
2: Thank you, Laurel. Thank you very much.
1: So your teaching and your book, Yoga for Grief Relief, Simple Practices for Transforming Mind and Body, Your teaching and the book both center around helping us to deal with grief. So what drew you to write and teach about grief relief?
2: It was actually a personal experience of grief. Uh, My mother and I were very good friends, uh, truly friends. And uh, when I was 19 years old, and she was only 54, she died of a stroke, Mm. Uh, And at the time, under the premise that my mom mom has not brought me up to be a sad creature, crying in the corner, here I was not really connected with my grief, uh, going to college, traveling, having my usual social life. And every time the pain of grief would come, usually in the morning, I would just switch as if I had a, a little switch button and I would get out of it. And two and a half years later, Uh, as I was traveling in the southern part of South America, uh, I had an experience with nature. It was the autumn, it was beautiful colors, and I was moved by that experience. And of course, the pain of grief came into my heart once again. And for the first time, I was able to stay with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I increased my time staying with my own grief, I also realized that in the place where one of my ribs meets the sternum bone, I had developed a bone spur, um,
0: mm.
2: a calcification, and I went to the doctor. The doctor said uh, that this was obvious uh, the result of an accident, an accident that I haven't had. And so what I truly understood was that that what my mind and my uh, uh, emotional system was unable to process or uh, to deal with, My body came in as a helper to remind me. My Mm. body, through that calcification, reminded me of the importance of paying attention to my own heart. That was my Mm. first psychosomatic experience. And uh, that is what, in combination with the fact that later on I met Lynn Prasant, an outstanding therapist from the San Francisco Bay Area, who later became my mentor and teacher. And in the course of the conversation, she told me, could you design a routine from yoga to address the physical symptoms of grief? Mm-hmm. And that 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 uh, invitation was fundamental in my life. Because even though I was a therapist, there was not much said about the physical implications of grief. Something that I obviously was very close to because of my own experience. And I think that that's the combination that um, drew me to this work. And to integrating this practice, sadness.
1: So, in your book and in your teaching, you make it clear that you're not providing a retreat from grief or a release from grief, but rather relief from grief. So, why is this this distinction important?
2: I believe that it is important because it addresses a very popular myth which is that we get over our grief and that with sufficient time we'll get over it Uh, one of the great teachings of my mentor uh was that we do not get over our losses we change our relationship to them and uh what is kept is uh the knowledge what is kept is Um, the process of going from loving in presence to loving in absence, where, of course, love remains. But what we all look forward is to reducing the deep suffering of grief. So this is why it was important for me to say that this is not a retreat. It's not a way of getting out of it or away from it, like I did when I was 19, but actually a way of reducing the intensity of the process itself.
1: Right, and that's the distinction that you try and make, that it's not a retreat, but Mm, rather relief. Correct. Yeah. So you open your book with the powerful statement, grief is a radical opportunity to transform our awareness, but few of us know it. And you also state, once we are able to acknowledge that on the one hand, our lives will never be the same, and then on the other hand, all the potential of the universe lies within us. A different picture starts to emerge. So can you talk a little bit about this opportunity for self-transformation and this, this new life that the second quote, quote uh, points to? Um, how does grief provide us with this radical
2: opportunity for self-transformation? Well, um, uh, in addition to having heard from my mentor that we do not get overall losses, we change our relationship to them, <clears throat> I also heard her say that grief is the most untapped source of self-knowledge. And of course, <clears throat> of course self-knowledge is the pursuit of yoga. Self-knowledge is the ultimate goal uh, in self-realization, knowing who we are. Um, because of the very intense nature uh, of grief, because of the fact that we identify ourselves uh, through our attachments, through the things that we are attached to, and because grief is the normal reaction to the loss of things or people we are attached to, when we lose them, there's part of our identity that goes. And we end up not really knowing fully who we are, which is such a transformative experience and such an intense experience that sometimes it is hard for us to find ourselves. This is why a lot of time grievers tell us, I'm not myself. I don't know who I am. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so in in itself, then, because of, of uh, depriving us of the old identity, it needs us somehow naked in a soulful place uh, naked in the soul and the mind and affected in the body enough that as we regain our uh, awareness of ourselves as we uh, bring our bodies again back to balance and our minds to understanding of the essential teaching of grief the essential teaching that all things will disappear. Nothing is permanent, including the things we are attached to. Mm-hmm. Then we certainly transform our lives. And this transformation is one that certainly changes the picture of life, changes um, our understanding and our uh, relationship with the universe, with ourselves, and ultimately with God.
1: As well. mm. Mm. No, you said that just really, really beautifully. I was reminded of the story um, from the Buddhist tradition. I think it's a um, it's been a long time since I read it, so I'm probably gonna not get the details, but basically mm. it's I think it's a it's a young woman who uh, comes to the Buddha and has lost her child and um, you know wants the Buddha to to help her. Basically, he says, you know, go out in the village and find me one person, you know, who has not experienced a loss. And so she goes, you know, door to door to door to door and, of course, can't find anyone who has not, you know, experienced a loss, which just mm, obviously speaks to what you're saying is that's the that is the essential nature, you know, of of attachment and also of of loss in our lives. It's unavoidable.
2: And particularly when, uh, as you may have heard in my definition of grief, uh, it is not just death that causes grief. It is not just losing those persons we are attached to, but also things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you were attached to the ring that your grandmother had left you, one day you lose that ring, and that Mm -hmm. ring was the one you were going to use for your upcoming wedding. Yeah you're grieving <clears throat> and even yeah. though nobody died you're grieving mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it can go from a- anywhere from this simple um, ring to the fact of losing one's own innocence in the case of abuse for
0: example mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah. and we are all attached to that innocence to that uh, ability to intuitively be somehow new in the knowledge um, of the world or in our ability to understand and perceive the world. So there is a number of things and people that can cause grief, and pretty soon you see that our hearts are full of grief. I like mm. to say that grief is the second most prevailing feeling in the human heart after mm. love. Mm. Yet, about love, we speak permanently, about grief, not so much. And this yeah. Is a
1: problem. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a
1: good point. So, you mentioned in the book two types of losses, primary and secondary, and I actually thought this is a really helpful distinction. So, what's the difference between the two, and why is it important to understand secondary loss?
2: Sure. Well, primary losses uh, are defined as the loss that happens first. Let's say divorce. Uh, You divorce, and that's your primary loss. Now, for example, uh, after you divorce, your friends have a hard time inviting you to parties, date, or to events. They don't know who in the couple to invite. They don't want to hurt the other if they invite you. So pretty soon you have lost your familiar social network. That is a secondary loss, which is the loss that appears as a result of the first loss having happened. Mm-hmm. Right. now. It is common for everybody to validate the grieving process as it relates to the primary loss. And most everyone thinks, well, it was hard enough to divorce, who cares? What what does it matter that nobody invites me to parties or events? Well, the truth is that secondary losses are often more um, intense sometimes and certainly more uh, numerous and more permanent. Because, for example, you divorce only once, yet you're not invited for the next two years or every weekend. So the secondary losses are very uh, present and very constant uh, in our lives. And they end up sometimes making the grieving process more intense or becoming of uh, such um, nature of intensity that is higher even than the primary loss. So it is important mm-hmm. to validate one's own feelings, one's own pain, and understand that, indeed, we not only grieve the primary loss, but also all the secondary loss associated with it.
1: Mm. Right. I can see why you, you're you saying that uh, grief is the second most common <laughs> <laughs> most common right. emotion of the human yeah. heart, you know, when you consider both, the, obviously, the primary losses and the and the secondary losses. So right. you talked a little bit already about attachment, but I, I really wanted to come back to that. You mentioned that in the teachings of yoga, attachment is seen as one of the five root causes of suffering. And the other four being ignorance of the truth of who we are, uh, egoism, aversion, and then fear of death. So let's talk about attachment. So how is attachment especially relevant to grief and our spirituality?
2: Uh, Perhaps I can share with you a very popular phrase that Queen Elizabeth popularized some time ago that says, grief is the price we pay for love. Mm. And when everybody hears uh, this phrase, everybody goes, oh, you know, because it is, so beautiful, b- beautiful, yet untrue. Grief is the price we pay for attachment, not for love, because grief is a reaction to the loss of things or people we are attached to. Attachment mm-hmm. is the strongest emotional bond that includes a sense of dependency, of the existence, of the permanence, of the object of attachment, so I can gain My well being. So, as long as the attachment figure or object is there, then I am safe, I can be happy. Uh, One of the very important reasons why Patanjali brought up attachment as an essential cause of suffering is because being dependent on the existence of anything is a sure ticket of suffering since everything is going to disappear. So sooner or later, that thing or person you're attached to will go, and with it goes your happiness and your Mm -hmm. well-being. In Western psychology, attachment is seen as a very strong emotional bond that is in the core of, for example, building communities, having families, and there is an unfortunate um, direct relationship between... Attachment and love. For Western psychology, attachment and love are almost the same. Hmm. For Eastern philosophies and therapies, the opposite applies. Love is the opposite of attachment. Because hmm. if, if you're attached to me, you love my presence, not me. Hmm. Hmm? You depend on my presence. You love me being there, not me. And so this is a very important distinction because the pursuit of yoga, the aim of yoga, is to offer us pages of wisdom in the manual of life. Mm -hmm. And one of them is everything is impermanent. So grief, in my opinion, appears as a reminder, just like my bone appears as a reminder of my need of going to my heart, Grief appears as a reminder of the fact that we shall not be attached, that we can reduce our suffering by changing our relationship to attachment. So this is the core element in grief. Of course, because we are neurologically hardwired for attachment, particularly uh, based on the importance of attachment As we are born, because we're different from other animals that uh, know how to live, know how to walk now, know how to eat as soon as they're born, we are not. If we are left at the side of the road after being born, we will die probably that very night. So we need an attachment figure to give us that safety. safety. This idea then remains in the human mind as a very important feature for comfort and for safety, and we unfortunately become attached to our attachments mm. and to our attachments. And so I'm doing that relationship, perhaps doing what I have defined as detached attachment, generating new attachments in life, yet keeping the fierce awareness that, that what we are attached to will inevitably disappear, certainly can change our relationship to those who love. To the things we love, and to ourselves. Mm.
1: Wow, that was that was really powerful. So um, I loved the distinction that you made between um, you know the, the loving someone and then just loving their presence, um, because mm-hmm. I think that the trap that many students Maybe even most students, you know, fall into when studying Eastern philosophy is, you know, they fall into this thing about, well, sort of attachment is bad. And so therefore, I'm not going to attach myself to anything. Um, but you framed it in a way that, you know, obviously, I mean, that's impossible. You know, we, we are going to become mm-hmm. attached to things, but to be attached to, you know, the essential quality of that person instead of their presence. Uh, is a way of, of living with attachment, uh, 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 unattached attachment, <laughs> if that makes it sense. Is.
2: Yes, <clears throat> yes. This is why I call it detached attachment. So we are at- attached, but yet being able to honor, like you said, the essence, the true soul, the essence of a person. And when you love them, even if they're not with you, you can still love them and honor that presence. Becoming attached constitutes what we call conditional love. It's love with a condition of presence. And as we have uh, been taught by Bhakti Yoga, um, conditional and we've only love got about ten more seconds,
1: so just finish that thought, and we'll come back to it yeah. after the
2: break. Conditional love is not love. It's a form yeah. of love, but it's not pure love. So our aim in life is to be able to love without condition. There you go. Here.
1: All right. It and we'll like stop there the just for getting to the break. Yes. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest Antonio Sausis, who is a somatic psychologist and yoga therapist and whose book, Yoga for Grief Relief, is the one that we're discussing this morning. You can find out more about Antonio at his website, yogaforgriefrelief.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour@unity.fm. At I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about yoga practices for grief relief. We'll be right back.
0: Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support.
1: Here's Eric Butterworth with a Unity Mindful Moment.
2: Unfortunately, religions have tended to present themselves as institutions instead of perceptions, something you join instead of a transcendence that you experience. We've tended to believe that God works exclusively through the machinery of an institution. So it is self-evident that most persons believe that you go to church to get close to God. The fact is, if God is present in the church, God is also present in the theater. God is present, period, because God is an omnipresence, presence everywhere present. So you don't go to church to get close to God. But you go to church, perhaps, hopefully, to be challenged to dig within yourself and to find that consciousness of the presence that is with you wherever you go. So that wherever you go, wherever you are, God is. To pick up the Eric Butterworth book, Practical Metaphysics, go to unity.org and click on Shop.
0: Take time out for you and join other like-minded souls looking to build their connection to spirit with the Unity at Sea cruise in 2019. Experience a spiritual retreat at sea as you participate in a special program designed to help you on your individual journey of self-discovery. Deepen and explore your spiritual growth with Unity ministers and presenters as you enjoy exotic Caribbean ports of call. For all the details, go to unity.org slash unity at sea now to make a deposit by January 30th and save $100. Discover Unity Village, and you'll find a peaceful oasis just 15 miles from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. If you're doing business in the area or looking for the perfect place for your retreat or conference, check out all that Unity Village has to offer. With 1,200 wooded acres, a beautiful nature trail, award-winning rose garden, golf course, and newly redesigned hotel and conference center, Unity Village has everything you need for that perfect event. Go to unityvillage.org to find out more. Take some time to relax and tune into spirit with Reverend Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central, join Paulette for a soul-stirring meditation that will leave you energized and inspired. Tune in and connect with listeners around the world in affirmative prayer. Not your everyday radio show. Touching the Stillness will help you bring new meaning and clarity to your life. Find Paulette on Facebook and listen each week right here at Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816 251 3555. That's
1: 816 251 3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co host of the show. And my guest today is Antonio Sausis, author of the book we're discussing today, Yoga for Grief Relief. You can find out more about Antonio also on Facebook. His um, uh, page is at Yoga for Grief Relief, and on Twitter at Antonio Sausis, and Sausis is S-A-U-S-Y-S. So, um, Antonio. I wanted to really touch on one of the things that's so essential uh, in, your, um, in your grief work, which is the physical symptoms of grief. So most of us are somewhat familiar, at least, with emotional and mental effects of grief, but many people really don't understand the, how profound the physical effects can be. So in the introduction to your book, you state grief happens to the body, Yet the physical symptoms that come up in the grieving process are not always dealt with as directly as they should be. Too often, the body-centered effects of grief get subsumed under the emotional issues being dealt with. So, so let's let's start there. So, what are some of the physical symptoms of grief?
2: Uh, perhaps we we can mention um, pain, physical pain being one of them. A lot of people. Um, Describe pain in the chest area, or sometimes in the back, uh, sometimes in between the two scapulae, in the middle of the back. But also, people feel tightness in the throat. Uh, there are alterations of the breathing pattern. Sometimes the breath becomes very short and superficial, or it can also be a type of breath with constant sighing. The same thing happens with the heartbeat, and we can have tachycardia, an acceleration of the rhythm of the heart or bradycardia, or arrhythmia. Same thing happens with the blood pressure that sometimes becomes high blood pressure, sometimes low, and sometimes changes very rapidly. Uh, Right, and I did want
1: to just translate for the listener. So bradycardia, you mentioned the tachycardia, which is rapid heartbeat, and then the bradycardia, which is the slowing of the heartbeat. And then also you just mentioned the blood pressure also increases or decreases. So thank you.
2: Correct. Yes, and there's uh, restlessness, there's fatigue, a dry mouth, there's an increased sensitivity to stimuli, and the endocrine system reacts very strongly as well uh it falls out of balance which sometimes makes for example uh, symptoms be a weight gain even though a person has not changed necessarily the eating patterns or habits and yet a person can gain a lot of weight and it is the thyroid that is out of balance or mm. sometimes women can experience premenopausal symptoms at a very young age and this is because of the imbalance in the endocrine system, and perhaps one of the most important physical symptoms is sleep, um, either sleep deprivation like uh, on insomnia or uh, sleeping all the time. So as you can see, there's a huge number of very important physical symptoms that you were saying uh, when you asked me that uh, people sometimes don't realize how important it is. What alarms me the most is that not even in the uh, teaching courses or in the formation of a psychologist uh, the symptoms the physical symptoms of grief are given the appropriate uh, importance and of course this is a very uh, negative and this is very harmful for health Because this is one of the sources of why people feel that they are not normal, that they are going crazy. Of course, such a big amount of symptoms is worrisome. And sometimes it's important to remind grievers that these are symptoms that are normal, that it's normal not to sleep, that it's normal to to feel this physical pain or to feel these alterations of the circadian rhythms of the body, the Mm -hmm. rhythms that connect us with the universe. I believe Hmm. that the importance of this is that it is a call to returning to the rhythms of the universe in a conscious aware way. Hmm. The fact that all things are impermanent is a crucial part of the rhythms of the universe.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that was just beautifully said. So, um, In discussing the physical symptoms of grieving, of course, and discussing yoga, you know, for grief relief, um, obviously the physical postures of yoga are really helpful in many ways in relieving these, you know, body symptoms. Yoga philosophy also views the body as having life force or prana that can be blocked in various ways. So um, your book provides a series of poses and stretches that unblock the flow of this prana or life force. So what are the benefits of this series of stretches, this unblocking the flow of the life
2: force practice, as you call it? I would say that returning, the main benefit is to be able to return or to open the doors to return to a balanced state of health. Uh, In the uh, concept of yoga therapy, in the belief of yoga therapy, which relates to the application of the uh, yoga principles and methodologies to the healing arts, to um, uh, the healing process, it is understood that every time this life force, the prana, because it is energy, every time it is blocked, it results in a symptom or in disease. Every time that um, the energy is blocked, the continuation, the normal flow and continuation of life is also interrupted. Therefore, to start any treatment program with a practice that allows you to reestablish the normal flow of life force in the body and mind is crucial for improvement, is crucial for recovery. And fortunately, um, yoga offers us, Uh, A a gem, a fantastic practice named Pawan Muktasana. Pawan is divine wind. Mukta is to free and asana is postures. So these are postures to free the flow of divine wind. A beautiful name for the breath. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an ancient practice that was brought back to light by Swami Satyananda uh, in the 50s. And that is very simple, and yet of extreme effectiveness. So this is why this practice is included in the sadhana, in the program, in the protocol for a grief relief, to initiate the process of reestablishing a normal balance of health.
1: Hmm. No, that, that's really beautiful. And obviously, ignoring those physical symptoms, um, you know, interferes with the, with the process of grief.
2: absolutely, and it generates the need for the body calling back, and like I like to say, symptoms are a way for the body to call the mind, it's like an internal communication and it's an old style phone call, there is no answering machine, (laughs) so if you don't pick up (laughs) the body calls again until you pick up So ignoring the symptoms of grief uh, is a sure ticket to constant calling, <laughs> so it's better mm. to to address them so the process can start changing.
1: Mm. So we've talked a little bit about Asana and the Asana series. I, I, you know, think that the book is really lovely, and if people are are um, experiencing grief, which, as we said, is pretty universal, um, really think about, you know, getting a copy and, and you, you lay out the exercises, the asana very, very clearly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very easy to follow. Um, mm-hmm. in your book, you also identify other, other types of yoga practices that can really help us move through the grieving process. Um, so one of them is, is pranayama or, or breath, breath work. Um, how mm-hmm. does pranayama help us through the grieving process?
2: Well, uh, every time our minds change in nature, change in activity, there is a correspondent change in the breath rhythms. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the teachings of yoga is if you want to change your state of mind, practice the adequate or the correspondent breath rhythm, and you will get there. This is how yoga uses pranayama. A wonderful chapter of yoga methodology to address the mind. And if you think about it, Laurel, uh, the body doesn't have a problem really with grief. Uh, For example, uh, we are certainly attached to water, yet every time we go to a restroom, we do not go into a horrible grieving process because we lost (laughs) water. (laughs) So the body doesn't have a problem so much with loss. The one that has more of a problem is the mind and many of the bodily symptoms are a reflection of the problems that the mind is having in understanding in assuming this essential truth that all things are impermanent mm-hmm. so um, addressing uh, the mind is offensive because it also helps address the symptoms in some way. And so pranayama is one of the ways, uh, but also we, and through pranayama, we can um, gain some equilibrium, or for example, we can also affect more directly our state by practicing single uh, nostril pranayama. So instead of doing the classical alternation between right nostril and left nostril, If we remain breathing for five minutes on the right nostril, we are activating the active parts of the cells. We are bringing ourselves a little bit away or up from fatigue. We are elevating the cardiac rhythm. We are uh, stimulating the sympathetic nervous system. On the contrary, if we stay breathing for a few minutes on the left nostril, that relates to the moon. To receiving, to the internal, to the parasympathetic nervous system, we are going to relax, we are going to decrease agitation, we are going to bring our minds to a more calm state. So, uh, pranayama gives us a way of addressing the mind. And like that, different aspects of yoga can bring us a lot of benefit. For example, uh, Shatkarma, the great chapter in yoga that cleanses the body, mind, in preparation for higher sadhana, for higher practice. Atana is wonderful, and it addresses the body. Certainly, our spirituality and is, a, is of a higher caliber, is of a higher involvement than our more simple, instinctual body. And when we are ready to address those other aspects of higher sadhana, we must clean ourselves, our mind, and our body. But at that, one of the exercises included in the series addresses the consciousness through addressing eye movement eye movement and consciousness are very much related Mm -hmm. also for example sankalpa the great technique for uh resolve for making sure that that what we want will happen or can happen uh, is an essential To to reprogram the mind by inserting in the mind the appropriate molds, I would say. You know, like when we were kids and we played with molds and we filled them with sand, we turned them around and there we have a train or or a doll according to what you were playing with. Well, sankalpas, a statement that holds your most inner heartfelt desire or plan or intention, is like a mold. But then the universe fills up. So reprogramming the mind by loading the mind up with the appropriate molds to um, go through grief healthily, to uh, reconnect with who we are is a lesson.
1: Wow, you just gave a huge summary of several aspects of yoga in a really <laughs> in a really concise way. So thank you for that. So just reviewing, so we talked about the pranayama and the single nostril breathing, and I really liked you know your differentiation between blocking off um, you know and just breathing on the right side uh, being more um, activating, and then uh, mm-hmm. and doing that for five minutes, and then the same on the other side, um, you know blocking mm-hmm. off the right nostril breathing through the left being more associated with the parasympathetic nervous system, the resting, you know, state more in relaxation. So that in itself, I think is a beautiful, simple practice for people to know Mm -hmm. about. And then you talked about, um, this idea of, uh, of cleansing, uh, and then the, the, um, process of setting an intention or sankalpa, uh, which of course you go into each of these a lot more in the book. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, coming, coming back to the uh, cleansing techniques, um, you, uh, one of the ones that you do talk about is another form of pranayama, the alternate nostril breathing. So what, uh, mm-hmm. what, how can that help the graving process?
2: Well, uh, alternate nostril breathing is a, naturally, uh, a natural way of uh, sparking an activity that is natural in the body. Uh, we never carry the same amount of air through one nostril or the other. Uh, Modern science knows that this process, this change happens naturally every between uh, three and four hours, and I see it as a natural built-in mechanism to bring some balance to our uh, lives. Now, sometimes the grief can be very stressful. Sometimes grief can be Um, uh, can have so many symptoms that either go towards the hyperactivity, uh, as in high blood pressure, short breath, not sleeping much, not being able to eat much, or they can be hypoactive, uh, lower pressure, uh, uh, Mm bradycardia-related heart rhythm, eating a lot, sleeping all the time. And Uh, So to bring some sort of balance to this um, naturally induced imbalance is very important. And alternate nostril breathing is a great technique to, by alternating between right and left nostril, cyclically um, parting or uh, awakening the Aspects that are related to the right and the left nostrils, the calming and the soothing, as well as the activating and energizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead of waiting for the natural process to happen, we can take a little bit the reins in our hands, like it's another translation, yoga, the reins, the, 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 uh, and do it ourselves.
1: Yes. Yeah, what you're talking about is there is a cyclical rhythm. There are these uh, things called turbinates inside the nose. And they basically uh, will, you know, one side will, um, you know, expand uh, on mm-hmm. a on a rhythm, as you were describing. This has been shown, you know, in med- in medicine, um, and it's. From Western medicine standpoint, there's not an understanding of why this happens, but I think you just gave a great explanation Mm -hmm. um, that it it happens kind of uh, blocked on one side, you know, for for several hours and then moves and is blocked on the other side. And if you do notice it, it's kind of interesting when you block off, you know, one side and just breathe through, um, you know, one side of your nose, you you often will find, oh, it's the right side that's blocked now. Oh, it's the left side that's blocked Mm -hmm. now. It does, it does vary. So that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, we started out our conversation really talking about the potential for transformation that is inherent in the grieving process. So you have a whole chapter on the process of transformation and you discuss finding a new identity after loss. And obviously this this is really a key process. So how you know, say more about that. How do we find that new identity? What are what are the, it really gets to this potential for, you know, self-transformation.
2: Correct. In fact, this came to me as a result of having heard those two very important statements from Lem Prashant, that we never get over our grief, and that grief is the most untapped source of self-knowledge. So when, as we identify ourselves, we identify ourselves through our attachment mm-hmm. um if you are someone who likes uh, a a certain sport and your team wins it's very common to say we won while you were not really playing you were not there in the field but naturally your attachment to that sport team takes you to say we won that simple fact has a lot of uh, deeper roots and it works similarly both in the surface and in the depth. And we identify ourselves through attachment. Therefore, when those things or people that we are attached to disappear, with them goes part of our identity. And a re identification process is of essence. In the past, we have identified ourselves through um, our backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, family uh, mechanisms and procedures what our peers told us it was good and cool uh, what we needed to avoid our defense mechanisms our survival tactics. those those aspects form our identity now of course when we are deprived from the objects of attachment and therefore deprived of our old identity we must re-identify so if grief as my mentor said is the most untapped source of self-knowledge how about we use our grief to tap into the necessary self-knowledge that will help us re-identify ourselves and this time not based on those defense mechanisms or uh, survival tactics or religious or spiritual or cultural um, um, notions or clues but rather based on ourselves, based on our true essence. And of course, yoga is the best way to go within, is the best way to tap into who we are by asking our own soul. This is a great practice called atma vichara. Atma is uh, soul, alma, Vichara is inquiry. So this is self-inquiry. If you want to know who you are, ask your soul, for you are your soul, and that's who you are. And uh, this this is why yoga is, in my opinion, so well suited to address the grieving process and to assist us in transforming it towards a new identity. To be honest with you Laurel is uh, my program while it is a great symptom uh, reduction uh, program that's not what uh, my passion is about my true passion in this work is related to that new identity because understanding that as part of your identity you must be one as you were saying at the beginning of the show The meaning of yoga is unity, oneness, yoke, to join, yoke. If we are one with the universe, our possibilities of having a better life, a more insightful life, a more self-realized life are there. We tap into that resourcefulness of the universe for our own benefit, for our own growth, our own process. As we do so, we come so close to the divine, to God, to the order, to the universe, that I, I think that times of grief are the times where the veils that separate us from divinity are the thinnest. They are a, It's a wonderful opportunity to tap into the essential laws of spirituality that can guide the process of re-identification And certainly takes us to a better expression of ourselves to a better version of ourselves it is a deep passion and pleasure of mine sometimes people tell me how do you do to be nine hours or eight hours a day talking to grievers and lost Mm -hmm. and about loss all the time and the truth is that the experience of being a witness and in the best case scenario an usher a guide for an individual to go from this terrible moment of suffering and loss and see them emerging as a new being as a new self full of potential full of knowledge full of possibilities it is a fascinating process that i would not give up one hour of my professional life (laughs) And, and That's really
1: beautiful. And I think that's just uh, actually really inspiring the way that you said it. And with that, unbelievably, we've come to the end of our time together. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of The Yoga Hour. We've been discussing yoga for grief relief with our special guest, Antonio Sausas, somatic psychologist and yoga therapist, and his book, Yoga for Grief Relief. You can find out more about Antonio and his website uh, at his website, yogaforgriefrelief.com. Thank you so much, Antonio, for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, Laurel.
1: Join us next week for an episode called What Are You Hungry For? Healing Our Relationship to Food, when my guest will be Sarah Joy Marsh, author of Hunger, Hope, and Healing. The Yoga Hour is a service project. For the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition, CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. For more information about the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, visit csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yoga O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Sean Smith, and CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray, and Jeff and Louie in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again while Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.